Good morning again. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be reading Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, merciful, gracious word to His children. And so, Father, help me say the text. Help us hear what Your Apostle, by the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, wrote to believers. I'm desperate for your help. We're desperate to hear by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. On Mount Sinai, God spoke to Moses the Ten Commandments. And the Eighth Commandment of the Ten, it's simple. And to the point, it goes like this. You shall not steal. It's amazing what's in that. One thing that's in that is that the Creator of everything that is not God, who therefore owns everything, recognizes under His ownership a stewardship that His creatures have. And that means they have a right to their property. And he says, don't take his stuff or her stuff or these people that gather together in a corporation. It is theirs. It's not yours. Don't steal it. To steal means to take what belongs to the other without them knowing it or against their will. A person sees another student get up from the table in the library in order to go to the bathroom and she leaves her computer there. And she'll be gone long enough. Casually go over there and unplug the computer and put it in the bag and walk out with it. You have broken the Eighth Commandment. You have stolen what belongs to another. You don't do it, but you're in a store with your friend and you realize your friend, after the fact, has shoved some candy down his pants. Later, he lets you know and laughs about it. And then you freely partake of the candy with him. You are an accessory to the breaking of God's commandment. Thou shalt not steal. You knowingly purchase a pirated movie. It's a lot cheaper. Someone took a video of the movie while they're sitting in the movie. And you knowingly purchase it and watch it. 
You have broken the commandment. You shall not steal. You purchase music over the internet. And then you make bunches of copies of that album. And then you find a market and you sell them for half price. You have stolen the hard work and the intellectual property of the composer who had a copyright on there for a moral reason, not just a legal reason. Rationalizations for stealing abound. Ah, it is wrong. Yes, I understand. I can see them. They have a name. It's wrong to steal from another individual. But come on. Walking through a big corporate department store? Nah. That's not stealing, really. They won't miss it. Besides, they rip us off. So it's different. Actually, I look on the internet. Thievery from department stores cost about $40 billion a year. You know who pays for that? All of us who shop at department stores. They don't need it. They pass it on to the consumer. But they can expect... In America, throughout all the department stores, that about $40 billion worth will be stolen. Stealing is at the very core of our fall into sin. Because what it is, it is the fruit of unbelief. That's what it is. It's the fruit of, I don't trust you. And that's breaking the first commandment. You are not loving God when we don't trust Him. And it leads to the breaking of the second commandment, which is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Because stealing brings harm to its victim. It's at the core of the fall. And so God speaks on Mount Sinai. You shall not steal. And we say, yes, but that's law. It is law. And that law shows how every one of us are by our nature, born into this world, condemned. And then God sends His Son to suffer and to die and to bear our sin against Almighty God and thus to bear the penalty. And He rises from the dead to secure it all. And we are saved not by our obedience to refrain from stealing. But we are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. We find ourselves somewhere during our earthly sojourn I believe this gospel. And then we read Ephesians and he tells us what has happened. He made me alive. I am in Christ. I am secure. All my sins are wiped away. Isn't that awesome. And then he speaks to every one of us in chapter 4, verse 28 of Ephesians. And he says, now, got all that? Let the thief no longer steal.
steel. Is Paul preaching legalism? There's a lot of twisted teaching in the evangelical church on these issues. Oh, I hope you read your Bible so that you can just smell it and you reject it quickly. He's not teaching legalism. He's preaching the gospel. The power of God's grace in the gospel. This text is about a changed heart that the new birth produces. It's about God. It's about His glory. It's about the fruit of those who are being saved in Jesus. Let the thief no longer steal. Now, isn't it true that there are a lot of good, upstanding, moral people who don't make a practice of stealing, that are my neighbors and don't glorify God or not in Jesus? Absolutely. There are many non-Christians who have inherited a Judeo-Christian value system that pride themselves on their hard work and on their honesty, and they believe that stealing is wrong, so they don't steal. But that's not what this verse is really about. This verse comes in a context called the letter to the Ephesians. And in the first three chapters of this letter, we have seen Paul is writing to Christians to tell them what has happened. Imperatives, what to do, not yet. He says, look at the beauty and the glory of God in salvation of your soul in Jesus Christ for three chapters. And then we have seen in chapter 4, he is then laid out the theological framework of born-again obedience. Christian obedience in verses 22 to 24, where he has essentially said, now that you're saved, now that all of your transgressions and sins have been wiped away in Jesus Christ, You're forgiven. You're justified. Now you are to spend the rest of your life renewing the spirit of your mind to the beauty and the all-desirableness of God. Why? So that you will be empowered to walk resisting your old man that is corrupt through deceitful lies like steel. And on top, Paul says there, so that it's not merely a not doing. It is this glorious, you are beautiful. And it leads to the obedience that flows from your new born again nature created after the likeness of God. And so, from that he went into verse 25. He says, let me give you just some practical examples of Take this off. Don't practice this, but practice this. And he starts to give those examples beginning at verse 25. So to feel it, I want to to start with verse 22 again and slowly read it and feel that this is Paul by the Spirit. Put off the old self 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, the one that has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's point is that being a Christian is a miracle. You have been recreated after the likeness of God because it is God, the Spirit, who's come into you and now you have something in your soul you did not have a taste for righteousness. A taste for holiness. New desires, or to say it in the negative, thus righteousness, not stealing. See, Christian obedience is not works of the law. It's not legalism. It's not earning. You read the New Testament, you cannot get that if you read the New Testament correctly. Not only is your initial faith in Jesus a result of nothing you did, but of God calling you of God causing you to be born again. But the rest of your life, to the extent there is true obedience coming from that heart of faith, is all owing to God. Remember what Paul said in chapter 2, to make it clear, for by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not of yourself, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of any works that you have done, so that no human being, no Christian, will be able to boast. And then what does he say next? For we, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christian obedience is not a work of the flesh. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Of God's grace. And that's why verse 23 of Ephesians 4 speaks of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the renewing of the Spirit of our minds. Without that, not mere intellect, but not without intellect, without the intimate, prayerful, gospel-centered renewal going on in our minds, in our desires, in our hearts through the Scripture, all that will be produced is legalistic, sinful do-goodism. And that's not what Paul's laying out. He's laying out the Christian life. Notice, in the renewal of the mind... We are undoing something in the context. Verse 22. Your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's the undoing. 
but positively it is putting on. It turns joyfully to verse 24. Put on the new self, the one created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's what it means to walk by faith. That's what it means to be trusting God, to be trusting His promises. Like Jesus illustrated with His parable of the treasure hidden in a field. A man stumbles over it, finds it. This is an amazing thing. And he covers it up. And he, from his joy, from his joy of that, that find, he goes and he says, I'll sell everything to get that. That's faith. God says, I'm your all. I am God. I am sovereign. No fly bats a wing without my will. Trust me. He says it in His Son. Seek ye first the kingdom, the rule, and the reign of God in His righteousness. And all these things, the needs we have in life, they will be granted to you. And so God says in the Gospel, trust me. You say, I trust you. He says, okay, here I go. Now trust me. Stop lying to one another. You trust me? Stop it. You, you, you who are thieves, stop it. You trust me? Stop stealing. But instead, he says in this text, get a job. Work. Work honest work. Yeah, your needs will be met, but do it so that you'll see me not only meeting your needs, but that you will have more money and stuff to give away. The text is simple. We'll read it again, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So not just the negative. Stop this. Stop stealing. But then he moves to the positive. Get a job. Produce. Earn honest money. But then he gets really radical about the Christian life. He could have stopped there and promoted the Judeo-Christian American dream. I'm honest. I do things by the book. I don't cheat people. I work hard. And now I get more stuff. Bigger homes. Bigger cars. More vacation. On and on. But Paul doesn't. Stop. There. Work. What's assumed there is the bread on your table, the roof over your head, 
the clothing on your children to school is provided through that. But then he adds a purpose clause for the work that's stunning. Why work? Assuming all that other stuff now is met. That's why. Why work? In order to give. So when it comes to income from your work, is giving the last item on your agenda? Or is it the first item? Alright, let's look at the three parts. The first clause, let the thief no longer steal. Okay, I want to turn for a moment, either listen or turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, because now I want you to hear how Paul warned the church in Corinth. Chapter 6, verse 9, he writes to them, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Let me stop. First, in our text, you've been recreated in Christ Jesus after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Yes, you're justified. You're made. You're declared righteous by Him. And there's something in your, in your soul. And you put aside the old nature that is deceived. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do not be deceived. Don't you know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Three things stand out rather clearly to me from that text. One is that professing Christians who live habitually, who walk the pattern of these things Paul laid out without repentance, are exhibiting a heart that has never had true repentance. Another way to say it is they're exhibiting a heart that has not had and does not have saving faith. And that's why Paul confidently says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Secondly, true Christians are to abandon these old pre-conversion ways of life. Thirdly, the gospel of Jesus is great. 
None of the sins Paul lays out puts a person beyond the reach of Jesus' saving hands. He came to save sinners like us all. And such were some of you. And then as Paul says in Ephesians, yeah, we all walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We're all condemned in our sin, children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were thieves, and sexually immoral, in liars, in God-haters. He made us alive in Christ by new birth. And then He says to us, let the thief no longer steal. Why not? Because stealing is a part of the old nature, the old self that Paul told us to take off. It's part of the corrupt, deceitful desires of our sinful, non-born-again nature. Stealing comes from a heart that is deceived about the Gospel. In other words, it's deceived about what is truly valuable. As we walk through this life, in other words, here's the experience of temptation. We walk in the devil, whom Paul just said, don't give any place to him. And the devil speaks to your old man. The corrupt one. The one that's easily deceived. He says, your boss doesn't know that you're not actually working, but playing a game. And you left for 45 minutes. So continue to play on the computer when there is work for you to actually do on his behalf. You have stolen from him. The store won't miss this item, really? So you walk out with it without paying for it. See, God says, I feed the birds of the air. Trust me. And then our old man, sin, says, oh, no, it won't never say it this pretty, but this is how it's interpreted to God. I can't trust you. Because the fleeting pleasures of stealing this money, this thing, that's the path that's better than the path you set out for me. The Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, 21 to 23, Poverty doesn't cause crime. 
sinful heart does. He said it this way. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Stealing comes from a heart that is corrupt at that moment. It's twisted. It's deceived by deceptive yearnings and desires. And this is the old nature that Paul tells us we are to take it off as if you were out in a torrential rain absolutely drenched soak and you get home you take those clothes off and you put on new ones and the only way for Jesus' people to do this to continue day by day throughout the life he gives is to continually walk by faith. See, a lot of times even we Christians who are around, oh yeah, I'm trusting by faith. And what we mean is, I know that will never happen. It's an impossibility. God will never make that happen. So it's by faith. That's not what faith is. Walking in faith is trusting God, His revealed Word, His promises that Jesus has secured for all those who are His. It is to trust that when God says don't, He knows best. It is to trust that Jesus is the yes and the amen of all the promises that He has secured from God who is now through Him our Father through whom we cry, Abba, with the Spirit of Christ within us. That's what Christian obedience is. It's obedience flowing from a heart of faith. So that the writer to the Hebrews has no problem saying in chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. Don't misread Him now. Really careful. Does he mean as a result of what comes next? Or does he mean the result of being saved by that source is what comes? It's huge. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. And that's why Paul writes in Galatians 5.6, legalism, your idea of religiosity, or I will do this, that, and the other, and God will then recognize that and give to me mercy and grace. He condemns such a thought this way. For in Christ Jesus, oh no, there's neither, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. God. But the only thing that counts is this. Faith. 
faith which works itself out as a fruit in loving other people. And you say, well, what is, okay, what's that to do with stealing? Everything. Here's how Paul makes the connection to what Paul says about the fruit of loving others. He says it this way in Romans 13. Love, love each other because the one who loves another has fulfilled the law of Moses. He goes on. The commandments from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Do not steal. So, when temptation to steal and to cheat comes, we need to turn to God's promises. Oh, how people, if they don't love their Bible and they call themselves Christian, I don't understand it. So, so you turn to, for example, Hebrews 13. Joe, keep yourself and keep your life free from the worship, love of money. But, but, no, be content with what you have. Because He has said, He said this, here's the promise, do you trust God? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Hebrew writer says, so we believers confidently say this, the Lord is my helper. I will not remain in fear. What can man do to me? I can trust Him. I don't need to steal that music off the internet. I can trust Him. That's the first clause of verse 28. The second. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Literally is my translation. Let him labor by working with his own hands what is good. You're working the good, is what he's saying. God's the one who supplies the food for the birds, and Jesus promised he's the one who supplies our needs. And what God reveals to us, that the main way in which he has ordained to supply those needs are through work. Labor. Producing 
serving down here horizontally to better other people's lives and it's worthy of food, higher money. That's the way He is mainly, sovereignly ordained to meet our needs. Not stealing. And then Paul clarifies here. Get a job, but not any job. But you don't understand, it's a job that I'm going to get paid. Yes, but the job is being a hitman. Because you're a sharpshooter from the army. Paul says, that's not good. Don't do that and break the command to not murder in your job. In other words, work, work that is not harming people, but doing services that are good. Don't work for the Corleone family. It's unbelievable how many people don't know those movies. Oh, gosh. Don't work for the mafia, no matter what the paycheck is. It's bad. It's evil. It's destructive to humanity and people's lives and their goods. I I work hard. I deal drugs in South Central Los Angeles on the street. Stop it. It's a bad way to do it. But I deal drugs at CVS Pharmacy as a pharmacist. That's good. Do what's good. Prostitution is bad. Being a camera operator in Hollywood, working on pornography, is not what Paul is saying to do. Being a crooked medical physician working for an insurance company is bad if you don't honestly deal with patients. Stop it. In other words, work what is good that produces something that people want without hurting others and that are not against God's clear moral command. Flip hamburgers at McDonald's or be a master chef at a five-star restaurant. Be a house cleaner. Be your lawyer who actually wants justice and to serve your client. Be a school teacher. Be in the building trades. Plumbers are glorious when you need them. And things are backed up. Help people sell their houses. Or buy a house. Do what's good and serves. That's the second clause. And then there's the third. And we need to now think, what's going on in the Apostle Paul here? Think about the miracle. Not mere do-goodism. But the miracle that Paul has in his head concerning salvation in Jesus. Because this verse lays out a road map of sanctification. Of the work of God in the saints. I'm going to read it again and just hear Paul's progression. Let the thief steal no longer. But, 
Rather, get a job doing work that is good with your own hands. Earn your money so that He may have something to share with anyone in need. Think about what's in His head. Thieves are selfish and greedy. They don't care about the other guy. His needs, his pains, the loss that they cause, they only care about themselves. And the work of God, Paul's letting us know, in new birth, in transformation through sanctification, is not only stop stealing, but it is get a job in order that you totally reverse that, that you give out of your hard-earned money and you give it away to those that are in need. Paul says that the goal here is not just to stop stealing. Nor is it just to get a job in order to earn bread, pay rent, housing, schooling, and gasoline. But the goal is reached when we work to earn income in order to give to those in need. The reality that is true, that, that God is God, and all that is not God is not God and is utterly dependent upon Him. The reality that God as Creator owns everything. And that all of His creatures are stewards over what He has put them stewards over. That is transforming in the life of a believer. Not only the reality that that's true, but the biblical principle laid out of God's ownership and our stewardship is transforming. And it's why the biblical principle of first fruits off the top of your grain harvest or off the top of your animal farm or your paycheck, they are dedicated to God as worship and the ongoing acknowledgement that He gives me the power to actually earn my keep. I'm utterly dependent. You and you only. That principle is hugely important to the heart of dependence and faith. You know, in Thessalonians, Paul says, look, people that manipulate what, about, about Scripture, he says, those who won't work for these stupid ideas, they can work, they can do it, and they sponge off others, stop letting them sponge off you. Tell them to get a job. But now in working, he says, your ultimate goal is to give some of your earnings away in order to overflow in blessings to the needy. Jesus' warning about the danger of going through life, working hard, getting bigger and better, barns and stuff. His warning should frighten us. You fool! Or the way He says it in Matthew 6, 
not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your money is, there will your heart be also. And so then later, the Apostle Paul writes particularly to us Americans in 2016. Even if they call me poor, we are the richest people in the history of planet Earth. And he writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So, they are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. And thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Love of the world, love of things, drive people to steal the properties of others. And a heart that turns from God and it shows itself as self-absorbed, spending 100% of its income on its own household needs and wants and lifestyles. It has not accomplished the goal of verse 28. Steal no longer, but positively work and earn in order to give. I close with Paul's flow. Oh, the glories, the treasures of Christ. Christian, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, put away lying. Be angry, but do not sin. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray. Mm, Father, You are good. You are really good. May we wake up every day just amazed if we're not dying in the next week from cancer. 
that we're utterly dependent upon you in that. That we actually have a home to live in. It is utterly a gift that our children are not like these children right now in Aleppo. Orphaned and bloodied. And only maybe days to live. But it is only by your grace that we are what we are in the situation that we are in. May we learn the lesson of being content without. And with having plenty. And with any place in between. For it is you and you alone who allow us to wake up even this week. And serve. Provide a product. And earn money from it. It's why we pray, Father, over meals. Because that we are going to eat is utterly your sovereign grace. May we learn to walk more and more in this. And it's all because of what we celebrate this week. You didn't spare your own son, but you sent him through Mary to offer him up on a bloody cross for our salvation forever. Oh, may we lay up treasures during this life that will never perish to the glory of your name. Amen.